what do these things beyond buzzwords really look like, right? Evangelization, discipleship, accompaniment, renewal, um, culture change. What are those actually about? And then how do we actually start to make those manifest in our institutions, our structures, our leadership, and other things? Because without doing the how, all they do is they remain in the, in the principle and the idea, and that's not going to change things. Welcome to the Ron Huntley Leadership Podcast, helping leaders be a positive catalyst on the people they support, the organizations they serve, and the communities they live. This podcast will make you think, laugh, and grit your teeth with new determination to make your parish or business a place of transformation, passion, and purpose. If you're still breathing, you are power for impact. Hello and welcome to the Ron Huntley Leadership Podcast. Welcome back if you're a, a regular listener. And if you're here for the first time, I hope you enjoy today's conversation. With me today is Marcel Lejeune. He is in Texas. Welcome to the show, Marcel. Yeah, thanks for having me, Ron. You have a, an apostolate called Catholic Missionary Disciples. Thank you mm -hmm. for the work that you're doing. We're going to talk a little bit about that today. And just as we're getting ready to record this episode uh, in our pre-conversation, I just realized mm -hmm. how much you love Jesus and you yeah. love the church. Tell me a little bit about why you love the church so much. Where did that come from? Yeah, I think it's a gift of the Spirit, Ron. Um, I, I love the church because I love Jesus. And I think there is a proper ordering there for us yeah. because um, to, to properly love the church, we have to love God and yeah. to love Jesus and his bride who is the church. And so he laid down his life for the church and everybody's called to it. And mm -hmm. so we who are members of the church, who have received that grace in our baptism, our confirmation, you know, those, those things, it's, it's kind of, you know, incumbent upon us to have a proper response. And the proper response is love of God and to love what he loves and he loves the church. So I think it flows from that. And of course, my love not being perfect, um, you know, I, I try to just like I try to love my wife and she'll remind me just how I don't love her perfectly. Um, you know, it's I don't love the church perfectly, but I think that we need some more Catholics who love the church, don't we? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And, and to your point about that, that order, I, I find as people fall deeper in love with Jesus or or mm. maybe fall in love with him again or maybe for the first time, all of a sudden the church comes very natural but in some instances, it seems like the focus has been on the church and not Jesus. And, and then the, 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 the care and concern people have for the church is really disorienting. It, it's not always healthy, and we can attach mm -hmm. ourselves to what we do more than why we do it. And, and it, it can kind of mm -hmm. get out of whack. You know, I, it's interesting you say that because I worked in campus ministry for 15 years and um, one thing we saw quite often was that young people would fall in love with the ministry or a program or an event or a feeling they got from, you know, those things um, yeah. rather than the person of Jesus Christ or, you know, the Holy Spirit and having an encounter with him. It was it was this this strange kind of thing. And, and we started to identify this and we had to really start to strategize around how do we help people fall in love with Jesus? How do we help people come to know the living God and not just a ministry or a yeah. arm of the church or a parish or this retreat or this program we're doing that 
and, and it's great that people find a connection to a community or to these other things, right? There's nothing wrong with that, but that's not the final step. And if that is, then when they leave our campus ministry and they go to a, the average Catholic parish in, you know, in the West right now, you could say, what are they going to find? But a place that's maybe not as vibrant, that doesn't have as many young people as we do, that, that may not have these encounters that they're having and they're going to fall away. And, and we saw that again and again. So, you know, it's, it's, it's a part of what we have to make sure we're doing as Catholic leaders is that we're offering Jesus that we're offering the Father, that we're offering the Holy Spirit, that this this Trinitarian God, rather than all the other stuff, because I'm not good enough to save anybody, and neither is our parish or our diocese or whatever it is we're involved in, right? Yeah, that's important. I love your perspective too, Marcel, because uh, you know, I've done some fair bit of work with different university organizations, particularly in mm-hmm. Canada, but a little bit in the U.S. too, and the transition from 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 campus life that's vibrant with a ministry mm-hmm. into a church is, is 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 shocking for a lot of young people and to your point they fall away my passion has always been how do we bridge that gap like how can we get some parishes going to the degree where they really know how to onboard they understand leadership they understand influence they have structure they they have process mm-hmm. uh, they know they know how to unleash people to use their gifts and strengths to do something cool versus just give them tasks that bore them to death and they fall away yeah. and and so but if we have churches like that maybe then they can be receiving these people that are coming out of passionate campus ministries but mm-hmm. i've never really seen the hunger for that bridge to take place and my so my my focus of course is always uh the parish yeah. but you you're doing work in the parish and you have that campus experience so how does mm. that translate for you in terms of the work that you're doing and and to try to make that a, a place people can receive yeah you know that that's a really good question. And I think what where where I'm coming to is the fact that our transition moments, whether that's transition from you know uh, a moment of age uh, change, or if it's state of life or something else, are real important moments for people to have community and connection to God and to other uh, Catholic disciples. And I'll just put it this way: if you think about the big moments, you know, a, a child who goes off to school. Uh, a child who moves from primary school to high school or from high school to university or from university to young adulthood, or if they don't go to university into young adulthood, uh, think about the parish response. So we're talking about parishes for the primary, right? Mm-hmm. This is the primary yep. cell of Catholicism in the world right now, um, after the family, of course. But if you're talking about as a community and here we have these parishes and we're not necessarily helping people make those transitions in a natural way that's organic over the life of this. So, and then there's other ones, right? You get, you have children, you have them age, you have, you're walking them through, you're aging at the same time. We have elderly, et cetera, you know, all through these different stages of life, there are different needs that are, that, that kind of come forward. But throughout those stages of life, there are constant things that everybody needs as well. The, the spiritual life, community, um, somebody to initiate and to walk with them. You know, we call this accompaniment now. Those kind of principles of basically pastoral ministry that quite honestly, we're just not very good at right now. 
Um, and there have been stages that we have been good and there's still people who are good or places that are good at certain parts of this. But these are things we're going to have to start to relearn. This is really where our apostolate kind of, if you're talking about drilling down on stuff, it's in the pastoral realm of what are you, what do these things beyond buzzwords really look like, right? Evangelization, discipleship, accompaniment, renewal, um, culture change. What are those actually about? And then how do we actually start to make those manifest in our institutions, our structures, our leadership and other things? Because without doing the how, all they do is they remain in the in the principle, in the idea, and that's not going to change things, right? So, so I think for me that understanding and seeing some of those issues on, on the ground level and doing it for decades really helped me to be sensitive to the fact that we've, we've got a, a big need out there that people are expressing in our church and we as leaders have to respond to those needs. Um, and not in a consumerist way, right? We're not just responding because they're asking. We're doing it because it's the right thing to do anyway, and our Lord's commanded us to do it, right? This is love. We're supposed to love one another as he loved us, laid out our lives and reach out and, and go out and make disciples, all those things. That's the fulfillment of the of the commandments of Jesus Christ, and it's good pastoral practice. So, yeah, I, Amen. I, I, I'm monologuing though, Ron. I, I I tend to do this when I get a microphone in front of me. <laughs> Listen, you're gonna you're not gonna have any rebuttal with me because I'm just soaking it all in and just loving it. So I'm not gonna stop you when you do. You know, it was really funny, Marcel. Years ago, when we we're at St. Benedict Parish, we mm -hmm. hired. Uh, our friend Rob McDowell, who was an ordained Wesleyan minister, so he came from a tr different tradition, but just had some incredible skills and insights, and we're so glad to have him on our team. And as an evangelical Christian, you know, he was being immersed in the Catholic Church. <laughs> he was just taking it all in and watching it, asking a lot of really good questions. And then he went to work, because he's very strategic, on trying to help us figure out what we could do less of, because he just saw how much time, energy, and effort it took to do all the things that we would consider normative as Catholics. And so it was so funny. A couple of months later, he comes to the leadership team meeting. He says, okay, Father, um, I... I I've got a suggestion for us. This is going to give us 11% more time. We just need to cut out uh, a weekday mass once a week. Yeah, we're Catholic. We're not going to do that. And so then he'd go away and he'd come back. He'd say, okay, I, I realized what we did. You know, we work really hard at Easter, so we need to take two weeks off after Easter. And it's like, yeah, Rob, we're Catholic. We're not going to do that. Okay. And so he kept coming back to the table trying to find ways to do less so that we could be more impactful and what he realizes that wasn't going to happen at one point he just said to us guys you know what your problem is you have the heart for impact and evangelization and making disciples that i've seen in any church that was going to make a difference plus you've got all this catholic stuff you have to do he said i don't mm. know how we're going to do that mm. it seems impossible to me because it takes so much energy and so what mm. do you say to those pastors who are just exhausted yeah. doing all the things it takes to do liturgy and sacraments. And then all of a sudden the idea of meeting needs <laughs> that I wasn't mm -hmm. necessarily trained to meet, meet with what energy, with what time, with what resources, what do you say to those guys? Yeah. I, th I don't think it's one thing I'd say to them. There's a, there's a lot of things <laughs> I'd say to them. Um, but you know, I've, I've been blessed to be able to talk to 
thousands of priests through the years. And one of the things, you know, I get to do priest convocations and priest assemblies and, and, and I, I find it a quite an honor to be able to, to walk with our pastors in that way. And then I get to coach some of them, mm-hmm. you know, and to talk to a bishop or a priest, one of the things I try to remind them of is the reason why they became a priest in the first place. And I will tell you that that this little exercise is, is quite honestly something that I've had 100% say one number, and I'm going to give you two options, and one of them say 0% say the second option. The first option is, Father, did you become a priest so that you could help somebody who hadn't been to confession in 35 years uh, find that God still loves them and can forgive their sins so that they can be reconciled to the Father um, and find that they are a beloved son or daughter? Um, did you become a priest for that and so that you could be fruitful, so that you could welcome people home, so that you could be the hands of Christ that offer the body and blood, soul, and divinity to us, so that you could be the one who could see transformation in people's lives and conversion in people who never knew that God loved them in the first place, or reconversion for those who forgot those truths? Mm-hmm. Did you want to become a priest for that, or did you become a priest because you wanted to sign checks and worry about the roof? on the church building being replaced or having to hire and fire people or dealing with the, 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 you know, the finance council all the time when, you know, they're, you're kind of arguing amongst themselves and nothing really is happening. Okay. One or two father, everybody says one, right? And it's a reminder of why they're there, why they became free, what the vocation, the call was really all about. It's Mm -hmm. literally to be the hands and the voice and the feet that bring the gospel and bring the sacraments and bring grace and truth and mercy to a world that desperately needs it. And to do so in the context of I'm a spiritual father placed here as priest, prophet, and king in this parish so that I can help change people's lives. And if you want more of that, then some things have to change. So let's look at the the things that are keeping you from doing that and from empowering the laity from actually taking on their proper role as lay evangelists and disciples who can go out there and, and do the things that the lady are supposed to do. And, and of course, that's another conversation, right? But it, it's really about empowering a priest to take hold of his priesthood anew. Um, mm. Or some for some, the first time, to, to understand it's, it goes beyond merely offering the sacraments and being a sacramental machine and getting into the mm the kind of the day-to-day kind of drudgery of parish operations. And yes, we have to do that stuff. Admin has to happen, right? We have to do it. But if we keep our eyes on mission and vision and the reasons, and then start to look at what we, you know, and how we do things, how do we start to help me, you know, merge those together so that we can be better at what we're supposed to be doing? Um, Mm. And I think most people want that. Where the rubber meets the road, Ron, as I'm sure you've discovered, is when you start to walk with people on how to do that, it's difficult work because things have to change and change never comes easy. Mm, That's so true. It's Mm. so true. It's it's so true. And what's so exciting, and let me ask you, I'm not going to tell you, I'm going to ask you, what do you find is the most exciting thing about being a priest? Let's say they had a church of, I don't know, 700 people. What do you think, Mm -hmm. and maybe not very many staff because a lot of them don't, and so, but what, what, what's the opportunity in that that you see? What would make you excited if, if, if you weren't a father and a husband and, mm-hmm. and I waved my magic wand, poof, you're a priest. Like, yeah. what is it about that that would get you excited? Uh, for me, it would be reaching the people who don't know the gospel with the gospel 
to to see people who are coming to Jesus Christ with the fervor that he want and the that he I mean the fact of the matter is heaven is open to everyone because Jesus Christ has come on this earth to redeem the world. Mm -hmm. And there's a message that's been lost in kind of this uh, way we communicate about Catholicism. Because a lot of times we start with all these Catholic particularities, right? And, and none of it untrue or that something that's not important. I'm not saying any of that, right? Yeah. But if somebody knows that the Blessed Virgin Mary was assumed into heaven and believes that, but doesn't believe that Jesus Christ can forgive their sins, then all the doctrines on the Blessed Virgin Mary don't matter. Um, if somebody knows all about the form and matter of the sacraments, but doesn't believe that Jesus Christ, in Jesus Christ as, you know, that he loves them, it doesn't matter about the sacraments. So we have to start with things that are more at the root of the problem. And that is the fact of the matter is that we know very few Catholics are what Sherry Waddell would call an intentional disciple. Um, and even fewer are what we, the Pope Francis calls a missionary disciple. Those who not only are following Jesus in an intentional way, but are on mission for him. In other words, going and making other disciples. And so if we want to reach the world, and that's the goal of a parish is to reach the local community, right? It's not just to serve the people who are walking in our doors. It's to go and bring the gospel of Jesus Christ and the truth of Catholicism to a world that needs it desperately. If we're going to do that, we have to start to engage Catholic lay disciples in a mission that Jesus Christ has handed to the church, not just to the clergy. So that would excite me as a priest, because then it's not just me who's doing this, right? It's, I've been given spiritual headship so that I can empower all these people to go out and transform the local community because the priest is not going to be the one who's going to be able to do that, right? So right. this is where my excitement would come from. Love that. And it certainly would be a matter, like, I, I love that, because even as you say that, like your starting point is that. Like your starting point is, is impact. Mm -hmm. you, know, you just, as I listen to you get fired up about that answer, it's like, we have got something crazy cool to say that the world's starting for. That's your starting point. Like, yeah, I don't have to ask you if you believe that. Yeah. It's written all over your face. Like it's, it's coming through your voice and, and that's your starting point. And mm -hmm. I wonder, do you, in your coaching, in your speaking, do you find you have to, well, I guess you do you have to dust that memory off and help people reclaim that passion that comes from that core belief, that core identity that because with the passion you have, you can solve problems without that passion. The problems kind of can crush you. Yeah. You know, it's, it's one of these both and things, right? You, you got to have the passion, but it's, it's not a, to just have passion. You're going to burn yourself out. Right. If, if you yes. don't have direction, and if you don't have the depth of a relationship with Jesus, you know, that's forged in prayer and growth mm -hmm. and virtue and repentance and all the other things the church has offered us spiritually, that the, the spiritual masters and saints throughout the generations have taught us, um, because that's really where the power comes from, to change hearts. Mm -hmm. Not from me, not from you, not from zeal, not, not from anything that I could do, rather that God uses one of us who is a limited uh, incomplete, sinful human being, and yet he can use that. And, and, and you know, as St. Paul says, 
let's rejoice in the fact that, you know, that I know that in the imperfection of this humanity, God can perfectly use it. And literally people can be saved and go to heaven and hell. If that is true, if heaven and hell are true, and if God can save people, if those things are true, what's more important? And we have to come to the implications of what our faith actually and truly says. And when we come to those implications, it means I can't stay static where I am right now. Mm. I have choices to make in a day-to-day basis. And, you know, when I start talking about this and even voicing it, Ron, I'm convicted, you know, again, right? I mean, it's, it's like I tell people, whenever I go give a talk and I get, I'm talking about Jesus and I get fired up or I do a podcast or I write about it and then I go read it again, and I think to myself, wow, God, you're speaking right back to me. You know, this, mm-hmm. this insufficient person and all God's got to work with are a bunch of insufficient people, but he's Amen. sufficient. All he's got is imperfect people, but he's perfect. All he's got is sinful people, but he's, he's you know, without sin, he's, he's perfectly holy. So God uses these things to show his glory. Mm-hmm. If we can only just get out of our own way, right? And that's where humility mm-hmm. comes in. It's that understanding, I have been given gifts, but I can't do it just because of me. It's all gift, right? It's all grace. Mm. So I think this this zeal that I have, yes, it's it's also a gift. But mm. but God wants to direct it. That's why I you know I too sit at the feet of people who coach me, and I have a spiritual director, and I have a confessor, and I have others because I don't want to try to mm-hmm. think it. You know, I've got all the answers, or try to figure it out on my own because that's a failed experiment. <laughs> you know. <laughs> I, I would be a big failed experiment if that was the case. Try to figure it out on my own. Wow. No, let's not do that. <laughs> That's a terrible idea. That is say. a bad, bad idea. Yeah. That bald guy down way. in Texas. Yeah, he, he's a big failure. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I do have a coach and mentors that I check in with mm-hmm. on a, a regular basis because it's you know, we're all trying to figure this out together. And if, if parish yeah. renewal was easy, everybody would be doing it. And so oh. I think it's an exciting, I'm glad, I'm so happy that you do what you do in terms of coaching churches and speaking into priests and coming alongside of these guys that would welcome you to do so, because it's hard. It, it's it just is. flat out hard. There's nothing mm-hmm. easy about it. And so I have so much respect for those men that are willing to say, hey, you know what? I know there's more. I don't know quite know how to get there, and I sure could use some help. Like, good on them. That that's a hero in my book. So, what you, you know? What, what, I, what I I yeah. think about it like this. Think I think about it like, okay, there's a jungle in front of us, and in the middle of the jungle, there is a destination that is got for all the church renewal. It's got holiness. It's got all these things that we're looking for for today's modern parish, right? We're, we're and we're all looking for this this kind of nirvana kind of, okay, that's a bad Catholic word, but you get my point, right? This place that we're supposed to try to get through and we're all hacking through the jungle and we each have a machete. And sometimes our, our paths cross and we, we look at each other and we go, uh, Ron, I, I think I'm on the right track, right? And here's what I'm doing and where I'm headed. And, and I think this tool is gonna help me get through the jungle. And we cross paths, those of us who are trying to do this parish renewal and, and this leadership and this coaching and all this stuff. And then sometimes I look behind me and I realize there are people who are actually following. They, you know, they think I, I got some answers and I know where I'm going. And I, and I have to gather everybody around and go, hey, by the way, I just want to point out everybody who's trying to get to that destination 
is really experimenting. And this is kind of a journey that we have no compass, at least outside of Jesus Christ. And you get my point. I mean, the, the metaphor fails, but it's, it's an experiment. We're, we're all trying to get to the same place and do this, you know, the right thing. But sometimes you, you kind of double back and you realize that wasn't the best path. Yeah. Yeah. Hey, fair enough. We have to be willing to take risks. And that is, mm-hmm. that's what I, that's what I love about what this type of call is. It's so exciting. Like it's an entrepreneur's, you know, mm-hmm. somebody who's a spiritual entrepreneur in many ways, it's, it requires that level of risk, that, that discernment, that sense of urgency, the willingness to do what it takes to stay laser focused on what success looks like, mm-hmm. like what God is calling you to do and be willing to do whatever it takes. If it takes shipwrecks and imprisonment and all those other things like St. Paul, yeah. and, you know, they're just different things, but there's, it, the list is equally as long, I think, for people that are willing to, to give this a go. What are some of the wins that you see or that you like to see as you start to coach somebody, let's say in the first year, what are some of the things that you see start to come to life in, in the clients that you work with? Yeah, good question. You know, the first thing would be a change in the way that they operate on a personal level. Um, and so what do I mean by this? This this can be every, anything from, well, somebody wasn't praying to now they have a daily prayer life, which I've seen happen because that's where we draw our power from, right? But mm-hmm. beyond that, let's talk about in kind of in the pastoral realm. I think a lot of Catholic leaders uh, have confused the fact that their own personal mission, their own personal apostolate is not the same thing as going to work. And we have to be careful about that because my, my personal apostolate and mission does not end when I clock out of my job. In fact, it, it's really not only just beginning, but it's more important that I do it at home. It's more important I do it with my family and my friends and my neighbors than it is that I do it at work whether that's in the parish or an apostolate or whatever else. And so I think when it starts to be seen as this discipleship, this evangelization, this helping other people spiritually or apostolically or whatever else is a lifestyle. When I start Mm -hmm. to see that change in, in individuals and then as a group of people who are doing that together, I think at that point, you're going to start to say this person's set up for success to lead parish renewal because they've seen fruitfulness in their own life. And that fruitfulness that they have in their own life is starting to spill out into their own work and their own vision at work and their own desires at work to see other people as well start to become more fruitful. Uh, until we get to that point, I think that it's, it, it stunts what we're able to do as Catholic leaders. And so it's either a rediscovering or a, a discovering or a deepening of this fruitfulness is really one of the big wins that I try to aim for. Because once individuals are at that point, they're set up for, okay, as a group, as leaders, what can we accomplish for the parish, for the diocese, for the school, for the apostolate? And what ends up happening is their vision grows, their uh, their idea of what can happen together is broadened. God can use them more powerfully. I mean, there's so many more things that can happen at that point. And, and that's where I think it really starts to starts to flower for me. So I'd say that's one of the wins I'm really looking for. Mm. So it goes from a transitions from a job or a role to a lifestyle and a, mm. they're fully embodying this call. Yeah, it's really a vocation. I mean, it's, we have to remember we have 
universal vocations in the church. One of the universal vocations is to be holy. The Vatican II talked about this explicitly, right? But we also have an explicit universal call to mission, which means we're all called to be spiritually fruitful, to multiply in our communities and our families and others. And we won't necessarily see all those threads of grace that God is weaving in our through our lives uh, in this lifetime. But the fact of the matter is all of us are called to that in different ways. And we have to discover how is it I'm called to be fruitful today? And how is it that I can be used by God as his hands right now to serve my voice, to proclaim my ears, to give somebody, you know, a, a listening ear and to hear what they're saying, my feet to joyfully bring the gospel to this world, to be the hands and the voice and the body of Christ. Right. And each one of us has a different part to play. So for me, it's so important. Um, yeah, I, I can't overspeak it, I think. That's fun. We were talking a little bit earlier at the beginning of the show. I know you've written some books, which, again, thanks for mm -hmm. doing that. That's how I was first connected to you, is reading some of your blog work and some of the mm -hmm. articles that you write and just reading it going, oh, my gosh, you're speaking my language. I have to meet this guy. I just really enjoyed it. <laughs> and you were sharing that how much you enjoy writing. Tell me a little bit more about that. I just think that's so fun. I think you're crazy for starters, but uh, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I started blogging many years ago and found that I, I was, you know, my charism for teaching started to come out while I was writing. Um, and I like to be able to write something where somebody learns. So my nice. style is I'm not going to be um, somebody who's going to blow you away with my writing. I'm not the greatest creative writer in the world. What I can do is I can get my thoughts down on paper that makes sense to people who are reading for the most part. And, and so okay. I, I continue to write and, and my writing has been found valuable by many people and they, they tell me that. So every, every person that tells me, hey, that, that really helped me out, they get me to go write the next thing. Um, because what in, cause, you know, of course, every writer has struggles and, you know, you hit, uh, you know, the blocks and the other things. And mm -hmm. even today I was sitting down to write a little bit um, because I had it on my calendar. It was time to write. So I had to write and I didn't necessarily want to, but I started doing it. And, you know, it started to come out. And so it, it helps me clear my head. It helps me organize my thoughts. It helps me to uh, conceptualize things in a different way. And I think it helps other people. And, and if it did, if it stops helping other people or it stops, you know, helping me organize, I think that's when the Lord would speak clearly. Okay, time to do something else. Um, use some right. other avenue. But until that day, you know, I think that. And so I've, yeah, I think by, I've written several books, but I'll tell you quite honestly, Ron, you want to talk about a chore. I, I'm happy to go write a blog post or an article for, you know, our Sunday visitor when they want me to, those kind of things. But writing a book, God has to basically beat me over the head um, because that's tough. Because it, I get so sick of writing that on that same topic for that long and having to revisit it. And the editor tells me this chapter oh. is trash, so you got to go back to it. <laughs> oh, my gosh. So I only write a book when I am firmly convicted that God said this is what you need to write about. And, and when that happens, oh, yes. And then we fight a little bit. And we argue. And, it's, you know, he puts me in the headlock. And it's like, I'm going to choke you out unless you write this book. Yes, Lord, I will finally do it. That's when I write the book. Yeah. <laughs> that's well Other said. That, it's that's not going to happen. <laughs> <laughs> well, you've written some 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 great books. The, the last one was the Contagious Catholic: The Art of Practical Evangelization. 
you do have a capacity to clearly articulate thoughts so that people can understand them like instantly like when i read your writing i it makes sense instantly so you do have a gift i, I find yeah and so i'm grateful for that so keep it up so if that gives Praise you the, the inspiration Lord. to write your next article then you start writing because uh you're fantastic and it's so helpful to, so tell me what brought that book like what did god when he had you in the headlock and was giving you a noogie what was he saying to you yeah yeah well you know i had been doing this stuff with college students for many years and then i started doing it with yeah. parish leaders and priests and bishops and others and and what I found was that we can't take anything for granted when it comes to any level of Catholic, whether that's the bishop all the way down to, you know, the, you know, the, the child, that they have the practical skills to be able to share their faith. That's, you know, that's what we, we can't take that for granted, that the practical skills haven't been taught for generations in our seminaries and our graduate formation or, or even on the ground level in our parishes, apostolates and other things. So how do you practically share your faith in a way that is compelling, especially for a 21st century culture that is anti-establishment, does not care about the Catholic Church, believes they've tried out Jesus and he's not what they're looking for? How do we do it in a compelling way that will arouse interest in Jesus Christ so that the gospel can be, procla be proclaimed in a way that is intelligent, um, that is attractive, and how do we live that out, but also how do we speak it? What are the skills that are necessary? So, you know, just working with people and seeing that that was such a great need, uh, people kept asking me to, you know, oh, you need to train us in evangelization, you need to do this and this and this. So I started put again, putting my thoughts down um, in, yes. in various ways, and it started to come together. And then I asked the Lord a stupid question. Should I write a book about this? And we, yeah, that wrestling took about six months. Um, right. And in Texas, you know, it's hot for about six months a year. So I was probably on my lawnmower, which is where all my good ideas start to really take shape. <laughs> so I go mow my lawn for a couple of hours um, on my riding lawnmower. And I'm on that. And, and honestly, it's just me with some earplugs in my ears, talking to God and you know, get off my lawnmower and yep, I guess I'm supposed to. It's very clear. Talk to my spiritual director, go for it. And lo and behold, there's another book. <laughs> that's a, that's a doozy of a book. So I'm going to highly recommend that people get on Amazon and, and go look that up. The Contagious Catholic, the art of practical evangelization. I don't know many people who wouldn't benefit from taking the time to think that through, apply their own life experiences, stories, understandings, pray about that, and begin to upskill in that area. Because what you'll find is as you go through this book and, and wrestle with those concepts, God's going to give you opportunities to use them. And that's really fun. Like, it is fun when God says, hey, can you talk to this person for me? I'm going to send them mm. to you. It's like <laughs> mm -hmm. Dangerous prayers, right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. God, give me opportunities to evangelize. Lord, let me see the people that need you. Uh-oh, they're all around. <laughs> they're all around. They're all around. That's so wonderful. And what's your hope? What's your hope for the apostolate as you look mm. into the next 10 years? What's your hope for the apostolate? You know, I hope it grows, and I hope it has a deep impact with those that we get to work with. Um, mm. I, I've kind of released um, uh, a lot of the the dreams. And I think what ends up happening is whenever I talk to those around me who advise and the board members and others that we work with, uh, I have a big dream when, we, when it gets down to it. 
but I have to lay that at the feet of the Lord. And so mm. my dream is to do whatever God calls us to do on a day-to-day basis. And, and that means we got to grind some days, right? Um, yeah. Fundraising. I, you know, I told you this before we, we went on live. Fundraising is a chore for me. So I've got to do it. So release that to the Lord. Um, you know, what, what's the future hold? I don't know. Release that to the Lord. So do what I can control what I can control. I can control my own decisions, my own actions on a moment to moment basis. And then for the rest of that, have a dream, go for the dream, work my tail off for the dream, want to be big, want to be successful, want to be impactful for the church and the glory of God's name so that more people go to heaven and it's crowded when we get there. Um, Become a saint in the process. And that means probably a lot of suffering. And then at the end of the day, say, you know what, whatever happens, I I just give it to the Lord. If this is what he wants, he's going to make it happen. Yeah. Beautiful attitude. I I like what you've done with your schedule too. You've made suffering the first part of the week. So (laughs) (laughs) administration fundraising on Mondays. There you go. Get your suffering out of the way. The rest of the rest. Oh, it doesn't stop, Ron. (laughs) (laughs) I just I just front load it and then God back loads it. <laughs> <laughs> Fair enough. Well, I'd encourage any of our listeners out there that are afflicted with wealth that want to get behind Marcel and his <laughs> apostle, at least look Amen. him up on Google. <laughs> right? That'll make your job a lot easier. People, it's, it's been giving. You know, I, I used to do quite a bit of fundraising myself um, with the apostolate that I was with, and it was, I actually enjoyed it, uh, oddly yeah. enough. Um I just found it an amazing opportunity to meet new people and to walk with them and hear what their passions were. And when you're aligned with somebody who shares your passion and they have the spiritual gift of giving, and that is a spiritual gift, then boy, it's really fun. And I just feel blessed to, as I'm sure you do, to work with the people who who do choose to get behind us to to mobilize us for impact. Just what an honor that is. I just think that's crazy cool. Yeah, the actual work is not the bad part of fundraising for me. It's thinking about fundraising. I don't. So when I actually do it, it's not hard and it's great. It's right. the thinking about it. <laughs> I don't know where that came from. Yeah. So, but that that's a reality, though. I mean, some we each one of us has our own. You know, you know, it gets back to that whole. Hey, I'm a human being. Oh, crud. Right. Um, <laughs> and, and and to deal with my own humanity in the midst of trying to do ministry, uh, we have to yeah. be real with ourselves before we can be real with others and real with God. Mm-hmm. It's true. It's true. And your work down in AM, I have a good friend of mine named Kurt Clement. You know Kurt? Mm-hmm. I bet you do. I know Kurt yeah. very well, yes. Yeah, that does not surprise me. He's a mover and a shaker. He's with yeah. Divine Renovation as the director for the U.S. I love that. And um, But he was he's from Texas A&M as well, and he would talk yeah. about how huge the the chaplaincy is, the ministry to students down mm-hmm. there, and you were, that was your role, wasn't it? Yeah, so the I worked for 11 years there, but I was actually a product of it. Kurt and I went to school together. Um, and there was a generation of people who went through the school uh, about the time we did. And what people don't know is just how deep the impact is coming from the people who have come out of that ministry. Um, we've had hundreds of vocations to the priesthood and religious life, hundreds, um, where when I was in the ministry working there as a director, we, we were averaging about 15 people, young people a year would enter a seminary or religious life um, every year on average, wow. 15. 
which is more than most archdioceses get. Um, oh, we were having, <clears throat> we, we would have 5,000 kids go to mass when I was there. Uh, we'd have lines and confession and we had confession six times a week. Uh, and lines out the door where many times two priests couldn't get all the guys and the ladies who were waiting for confession. Um, you know, yeah, all the numbers are pretty staggering. And so, but when I was in school and Kurt and I were in school, there were two priests, uh, a, a secretary and a part-time deacon who wasn't paid. We had a building that the roof was falling in leaking and uh, it took some vision. And this is actually a good story for, for parish leaders because um, what ended up happening was a priest was assigned, a young dynamic priest um, that the bishop had spent money for one of the first priests he sent off to Rome to go study in Rome. So he was, you know, he's one of these bright young stars of the diocese. And he put him in there after nine priests within four years had been assigned to this parish with the campus ministry. He put him there with another young dynamic priest and he said, I want you to go do something with this. He learned how to fundraise. He learned how to cast a vision. He started to build buildings. He started to gather staff. He started to, to transform the ministry internally. He started to, to help form leaders of the students. Lo and behold, that went from that little bitty kind of rundown thing to the most dynamic and largest campus ministry in the world. Um, when I was there, we, like I said, it, we were 63 staff. We were running a three and a half million dollar budget from literally barely making the ends meet less than $200,000 when I was a student in the early 90s. Um, that is over the course of 20 years that you can see that transformation of to the most dynamic, largest campus ministry in the world. So it can be done. And I've, you know, I've, I've been able to literally walk in the midst of that and see that where we were doubling things after a few years and where God just would say, okay, this is the vision and you're going to go for it. And this is going to happen. And it happened and it was beautiful. But the real key is not the budget, the staff, the vocation. It's literally lives have been transformed. People like Kurt Clement, who are now, you know, running mm -hmm. divine renovation. Um, 40 days for life was born out of our parish. Mm -hmm. um, you know, I got to, uh, walk one-on-two -on with Abby Johnson and her family after she came out of Planned Parenthood. I mean, these are the kind of stories that you just don't hear. The the religious sister who created the low gluten host went to school with me. You know, it's those kind of th those stories again and again and again. You just don't know, but it's because of the seeds planted in a young priest's mind. This is the vision we're going to go and we're going to grow this place. I mean, it was just remarkable. So, yeah, and that it was it is a parish. So you know the parish transformation absolutely phenomenal. And yes, all the principles actually apply if the way they were implemented mm -hmm. in a campus ministry is not necessarily the way that you're going to do it in your parish, right? So again, you know, the principles apply. You got to have proper vision. You have to understand, you know, you got to gather a team. You got to have the, you know, all those kind of things. It's yeah. not rocket science, but neither is it, you know, plug and play. So well. we, we can't just have a, B, C, D, E, and this is going to guarantee success. That's not how these things work, right? It's A, no. B, C, fall flat on your face, fail, get back up, try Z, and then go back to W because J, oh, I forgot that. Oh, yeah, that's more <laughs> like it. So, But the principles <laughs> apply and they help us. And, and this is why you and I have jobs, right? Because we're trying to figure it out and maybe we're a few steps ahead. And we've been in places where we've been able to see these kind of transformations take place, learn yes. from them, and help others. Amen. And, we're still learning as we go.
Amen. Truer words never spoken. I love what you said. It kind of reminds me of Father Michael Scanlon with the Franciscan mm. University of Steubenville. Same idea. Um, yeah. And but one of the things, actually, the book I'm writing right now with a good friend named Father Samuel Milletta is called The 20 Plus Mindset. Because this stuff does take time. Now, I know not everybody has the blessing of being able to stay in a place for a long period of time, but we can start, we can be thinking long term. Mm-hmm. Right? Because if we think short term, We'll never do anything significant. Yeah. Like we No, I agree. And, and one of the problems. Time. Yeah, sorry about that. Um, I think you cut out. I thought you were done talking. Um, no, I am. Go ahead. Yeah. So what you know, one of the things I would say is a problem is that people, you know, I will ask Catholic leaders, will tell me what what your, you know, what's your plan for next year? What's your plan for five years? What's your plan for, you know, in the extended future beyond that? And they don't have a plan for next year, much less do they have a plan for 20 years. Uh, or five years or 10 years or whatever else. And so this is a problem and we have to call it as a problem. We have to name it as a problem mm-hmm. because a pr- there's a problem if you have no idea of where you want to go. It doesn't mean you're going to actually get to that point as you drew it up, right? But right. you have, it's like getting in your car and saying, I'm going to go find a hamburger, but you know I don't even know where there's a hamburger joint. And I'm just going to drive around aimlessly and not have any mm-hmm. plan on how am I going to get there? I actually, by the way, don't even know how to drive. Um, but, you know, that's that's kind of how our, our leaders are operating in a lot of places, saying, oh, well, I want to go evangelize people or I want to make disciples. Well, I don't actually know how to make disciples, nor do I know have a plan on how I was going to accomplish that with this group of people. That's the same kind of thing. If I want to renew this parish, but I'm not exactly sure how to renew a parish and I have no plan on how to get, you know, well, then what are we doing? We're, what, we're do- what we're doing is frustrating ourselves and our people. And mm-hmm. that's not going to help. So we, we of course, have to have this a proper understanding of vision, how to accomplish it, and why we exist in the first place. What's the church about? What are we about? How are we going to do this? Where are we going, et cetera? Those are the big questions, and we have to start there. Mm. That's, that's such important work. And I think as people are listening to this podcast, I think there's probably mm-hmm. a lot of scribbling going on in notepads. At least I hope there is. Or you'll re-listen to this podcast because, Marcel, you're, you're just posing a ton of really important, simple questions. But it, it's worth pondering and, and coming up mm-hmm. with answers for. Uh, you just really have the heart of a coach and, I, and a teacher. And so I love, uh, I love what you do. I love how you do it. Keep writing books. I can't wait to see how God nudges you next to see uh, as you put your pen to paper. But you're going to find Marcel all over the place because you do a lot of writing for, for different uh, articles and, and, and so forth. So keep up the great writing. Keep up the great coaching. Keep dreaming big. Thank you to you and your board for the work that you're doing and for the people that get behind you financially to, mm-hmm. to put wind in your sails to allow you to keep doing what you're doing. It's important work. Thank you. Yeah, and ditto that for what you've done for the church and going to do, Ron. And uh, to all the people who are listening, thank you uh, for your work because the church needs you. Amen. Sure does. So thank you for listening. If you're watching on YouTube, please feel free to hit that thumbs up. That's a big help. Subscribe if you would. Uh, feel free to share, post, uh, connect with us in anything that uh, you're doing, and we'll repost, retweet, whatever it is. Uh, that all helps. Uh, appreciate you entering into this conversation of leadership and impact that parishes can have. What you do matters. Thanks for listening. I want to encourage you, as you lead this week, be faithful to God and generous to others. See you next time, and remember, if you're still breathing, you are powered for impact.